Welcome back to the Shift Drink Podcast. I'm Edward DeSell. Sitting here, as always, is Arthur Black. A good day to you all. And joining us today is the founder slash operator of Bitter Cube, uh, which is Nick Kosovich. Hi, how are you? we got some bitter action going on today. A trip to the senses. Yeah, really looking forward to it. Uh, we've covered a lot um, in these last few months on, on the podcast, but we haven't gotten to the point of... Uh, actually talking about bitters, which are an incredibly important uh, component of, of almost every cocktail. So happy to have you on the show. Thank you very much. Yeah, and I don't um, know really where to start with this. I mean, the, the bitters, uh, Ed mentioned that they're crucial to, to cocktail creation, and, and I, I would agree. So we can speak to sort of, you know, the, the mixology, as much as I kind of hate that term, the cocktology of bitters. Um, or and we can just talk about what they are. And, of course, I would like to get some clarity between, like, bitter, bitters and then other Amaros, because I think a lot of people hear the term Amaro, and they think, I don't know what they think. Um, so maybe some clarity there. But in terms of um, historical relevance, I mean, these things go back thousands of years, right? Well, I'm a, you know, medicinally speaking, you know, before modern medicine, people were taking botanicals found in their, you know, their you know, nature around them and using them to, uh, you know, heal people. To treat illness, um, you know, distillation was first created for the same reason. You know, how can we take juniper berries and unlock the magic that's inside of them the through distillations, right? So, so yeah, I mean, you know, when you look farther back, uh, hundreds and hundreds of years, I mean, these are medicinal uh, uh, concoctions, right? We tend to shy away from that part of it. You know, we get people asking about like, what are the homeopathic properties of your bitters? And we're like, no, nah, I'm not going down that rabbit hole with you. Like, <laughs> right. uh, they go in drinks to cure crippling depression. That's the only thing I know. Yes. No, Temporarily exactly. cure crippling right. depression. So hold right. the thought on medicine. And I need to segue, what medicine did we drink last night? Because that's how we always start off the show. Ah, that is true. So what did you Me? have to drink last night? Yeah. Last night, I uh, didn't drink much. Um, I, you know, as I am a fully grown adult now, I <laughs> am in a uh, uh, every other kind of day thing, which Good means that, you. you know, I got so hungover that I'm punishing wow. myself by not drinking the next day. Some part of me thinks that that's being mature. Uh, it just means I'm dehydrated, I think. Or but, masochist. Uh, yeah. Um, no, yesterday, you know, I, uh, we, 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 you know, not only do we make bitters, but we do a lot of consulting. Uh, we have 15 bars in the country now that we manage in some capacity. And, oh, really? Uh, we just opened up two new ones in Minneapolis. And so I was at Cafe Alma in Minneapolis, which just opened, and I was building a punch. And so I did have a couple glasses of punch. Uh, the uh, bourbon was Old Forester. Uh, we used uh, some uh, evaporated cane syrup with uh, the uh, cherry bark vanilla bitters, a little lemon tonic, uh, and then we topped it off with beer. So it was a punch carbonated with a IPA, and it was delicious. The versatility of punch. Uh, always. You're not going to hear me ever talk shit about punch. Uh, last night, what did I have? Oh, I had... Um, Rum. No, actually. I had um, Fitty Fitty Martini. Um, couple Fitty Fitty? More, more, more than one, but uh, uh, Citadel Gin is... Well, what I was uh, having a built with. Okay, um, I was I was relatively good last night. I just had some wine with dinner. I had a um, Tabali uh, Pinot Noir, it's Chilean. Comes out of a little area known as Lamari, uh, a couple hours north of Santiago, more obscure region, but they're way into sustainability down there. Pretty classic, um, pretty restrained. Um, I hate to say old world, new world style, whatever. Um, wasn't over the top alcoholic. Good fruit, good acid structure. It was good and pretty cheap too. It's like. 17, 18 bucks a bottle or something retail. Awesome. So, um, all right. So back to medicine. Um, you know, different alcoholic beverages, distillates, you'd mentioned Middle Ages and even earlier uh, wine, um, more obscure esoteric beverages have been utilized for medicinal purposes forever. But to me, it seems like bitters. I mean, this is something that was specifically used in the role of, of, of medicine and um, pharmacognosy, if I'm saying that correctly. <laughs> Uh, butchering that, which is sort of like the, just the study of um, knowledge in uh, booze um, or medicine and, 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 and knowledge that they trapped in creating these, these, these elixirs and such. And like today, I think they're kind of, I, I guess they would still be made relatively in the same way that they were made a long time ago. Ours are, yeah. I don't, not everybody. But the, what, what the work that we're doing is done very much... Uh, uh, rooted in the old world uh, methodology. So we're taking uh, the finest botanicals that we can source from all over the world. We're extracting them in high proof spirit. Um, 
there are other bitters on the market that are using oils and extracts and flavorings and blending those together, uh, which allows them to not take six to eight weeks to produce a product um, and allows, you know, to make obviously more inexpensive product. But as we've grown our company, you know, in the last eight years, we started off making 200 gallon batches and we now produce 250 gallon batches. And, you know, we're selling, you know, a, a really, really incredible amount of products, you know, and, uh, and and that says a lot about the cocktail culture of the entire country, which is really exciting. Um, but yeah, you know, when you look at even spirit consumption, it was originally medicinal, right? So even in the early 1800s, late 1700s, people were taking whiskey because they were sick, not because they wanted to feel less. <laughs> That's right. You could even get um, a prescription for whiskey during Prohibition. Exactly, yeah. And so, you know, the first cocktail that is written in, in documentation is what we now call the old fashioned, right? So, uh, in 1806, there was, uh, you know, this, this, somebody wrote into a paper asking what a cocktail was, and the person wrote back and said, you know, it's a, it's a concoction of spirit, liquor, bitters, sugar, uh, I'm sorry, bitters, liquor, sugar, water. Right. And today that water is generally in the form of ice. But, you know, in the 1800s, it not necessarily was. But uh, so we now call that an old fashioned. So we look at the fact that, like, really the first drink ever created in America, being the cocktail, uh, had bitters as a part of it. And so bitters have been an integral part of the American cocktail culture and creation since its inception in, in the 1800s. So bitters, and it seems to me, bitters have been lumped into like a... A looser genre than it need be uh, within the bartending world and with consumers that they might not know exactly what bitters are, um, which should be separated from like the blanket of beverages called amaros or Italian beverages that simply have some sort of bitterness to it. Yeah. So right. amaro is Italian for bitter, but amaro one to be an amaro it has to come from Italy. Like that's it. And then after that, you can have amaro wines that are bitter. You can have vermouths that have bitterness. From various ingredients uh, and then you can even have like spirits and liqueurs and cordials that are technically amaros because they simply taste bitter but what we're, we're talking about are bitters that are like consumable like um, potable bitters that are being utilized in cocktails and don't necessarily have to come from Italy they can be come from anywhere but is there some kind of like TTB criteria for like the bitters that you guys make yes well, so and for our home listeners I mean when we're talking about bitters I think that a lot of people you know, out there may not know exactly um, what they're looking at when they're in the store or what exactly to do with them, which we'll get to in a little bit. But like if if you're out there listening um, and you've seen Angostura bitters, those are the, pretty much the prolific on like every show. Those are the big brands. Yeah, you're going to see them both now made with elixir extracts, right. flavorings. But you're going to see those very commonly. So that's that's what we're referring to. But what Bitter Cube does is um, way, way above and beyond that you know, touching on what Angostura mass produces. And it's that, that potable, non-potable thing, right? So, like, the, the potable or potable would be the Amaro category, right? So, Frenets and Zucca and Chinar, these these things that you would drink, you know, either on their own neat, um, but they're lower proof, usually, 80 proof or lower. Um, uh, but a lot of the Amaro outside of Frenet are lower than that even, right? So, they're these liqueurs, are consumables. Yeah, consumable. Uh, potable Amaro bitters. Ours are concern, considered non-potable, non-beverage. So the TTB classification for what we're doing is uh, food-grade additive. So Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah. It's, um, they're actually considered food additives. Yeah, so they, what they're saying is that no one in their right minds would take <laughs> our bitters and drink them on their own. On their own. Uh, which, you know, for Unless two... you're in prison or something. Yeah. I know some bartenders that from the, the ratio of additions yeah. to their build, you might yeah. think that they're drinking them so When Ira got married uh, last year, uh, we uh, the, the guys at Merchant in Madison all took a shot of Cherry Bark and like filmed it and then like played it at his wedding. And I was like, we don't want to spread that too much, but <laughs> right. that's awesome. You know, I got a kid to put through college. Like, yeah, man, ounces of cherry bark. But, um, yeah, you know, it's, it's an intensely bitter uh, uh, thing. And so our bitters are intended to be used by the dropper, the dash, or the dropper or the dash, right? So, um, you know, you're looking at the very wide spectrum of things. And so for us, we would say, like, our category ends at, you know, the, the potability of it, meaning you don't drink it on its own. And so how we do that is we get – you know, our formulas are sent to the TTB and then we actually have, you know, we have to fill out the formulas and the paperwork to show where that, that, that 
that bitterness comes from or where the 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 non-potability lies so that they can approve that because if we are approved as non-potable then we get to use our product and ship our product like vanilla extract it's in the same category as that which is you know considered non-alcoholic yeah so bitter itself um not beverage speaking is one of our primary elementary senses you know salt sweet um, sour, bitter, and of course you got sort of the, the new regimen, the umami, um, and more recently kokumi and pequans. Um, but we're least sensitive to sugar, and we're most sensitive to bitter, right? Yes, as, as human beings on the yes. palate. So, in modern human being as well. So, if you look at like the the human being of the eighteen uh, hundreds and the early nineteen hundreds to today, uh, classic cocktails and their formulations all need to be re looked at because. The way the drinks were made in the 1800s versus today are very different because of the modern palate. We all grew up on Skittles and Fruit Loops, sometimes together in the same bowl. Hell yeah. Uh, yeah, but uh, you know, in the 1800s, sugar was a luxury item. And so the drink world... It's a food group now. Yeah. <laughs> it is in the States. The drink Definitely world in then, Indiana. yeah. The drink world then just was a little different. And so you know, if you made a daisy back then, you're not really adding simple syrup. You're adding lemon juice, a liqueur, and a spirit. Which is terrible. It is terrible tasting, and so, uh, yeah, you know, I think we we as a modern palate, you know, sugar is is something that's involved in everything, and so even when we're making these bitters, I mean, these bitters are still finished with sugar uh, to round them out. All right. So when they're put into a cocktail, they're providing flavor, they're providing structure, perhaps uh, just different responses on the palate to kind of give lift to, to other ingredients in a cocktail? So our whole philosophy of cocktail training and making kind of evolves around our bitters as well, conceptually. We think we, we like to look at the classic cocktail world and say there's really seven pillars of styles of drinks, and all of those have the same formula. Like each pillar has a different formula. For example, like the gimlet and the daiquiri are the same cocktail. It's sour. Three quarter, three quarter, two. That's our sour build. Two ounces of any spirit, three count, three ounces of three quarter ounce of lime or lemon, and three quarter ounce of simple syrup is going to either make a daiquiri or a, uh, a gimlet, or an aquavit gimlet, or a tequila gimlet. And if you follow that formula, and then you incorporate bitters into that formula, you're basically looking at bitters like your your bar uh, spice like like combinations. So like you know like a standard household would have like maybe KC spice blend and uh, a Szechuan five spice blend. And so these spice blends that you would use in your food, we're basically making those liquid spice blends for cocktails. So if you know how to make a gimlet, you have your favorite gin, you have fresh lime juice, you have simple syrup. Let's make a gimlet with cherry bark vanilla bitters today. Let's make one with Jamaican number two bitters tomorrow. You're making the same drink, but it's going to have a completely different flavor profile. They're never intended to be the star of the show, but they're, they're intended to kind of round out a drink. They soften acid. They can, they can dial in citrus so that your drink doesn't come off sweet. And if you don't have that balance of acid and sugar, your drink tastes off anyway, right? Too much sugar and the drink tastes like lemonade too much acid and it tastes all like lime juice. Lime juice holds all the flavors hostage. The bitters can kind of help kind of just bridge everything together. We never want them to be the main flavor profile, but we want them to kind of help lead people who are learning how to make drinks into making different flavored things. I've always found that they are are the thread that kind of ties everything together from that, like the way better middle (laughs) palate right right at the end and the end because you know, uh, we're dealing with alcohols that are made in whatever different ways, the distilleries, but it, sometimes it can be really difficult to get from point A to point B being, you know, you, maybe you've got a gin and you've got some uh, or vermouth, you know, like I said, I was drinking 50, 50 martinis last night. And so like just an addition of a little bit, a drop or two of, you know, some bitter cube bitters or any other bitters like can sometimes bridge that depending on the kind of gin you're using, which is, um, you know, kind of one of the things that I, I find interesting. And that's why products like yours that have really gotten above and beyond just the Angostura or right. orange bitters, like we can really play with them and tie them together in different ways and lift the flavors of a particular gin. Like, like I said, last night I was drinking Citadel gin, which is really nice uh, citrus forward. Yeah. And so, you know, finding the right bitters that work with that is really fun. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, for us, there's not really a lot of wrong answers, right? I mean, especially to the home consumer. If you're at home and you're making drinks for yourself and, you know, it's not like you're going to dump a drink out and be like, right. this is, you know, this is bad. And so, you know, it does allow you to... Yeah, that doesn't happen at home. I mean, I'll right. drink like... Uh, <laughs> 
I'll drink some purple chongos at home. I don't care. <laughs> right. So, you know, the, the, the research and development of the home life can be a lot, you know, more laid back than if you're making drinks in, in a bar setting. But, you know, the, the, the understanding for us is, you know, for the most part, we're never looking at these these bitters and saying they're, they're the forefront of cocktail flavoring. Um, they're there as a supporting uh, role. You mentioned, like, more casual environment at home. Um, one of the cool things about our business is the creative license. You know, bartenders get to take with their creations. Um, brands get to develop as they're doing their, their research and their new products. Um, but do people take this pretty damn seriously, though? I mean, like, when you're out there and you're working with bartenders, I mean, it's there's some people that are very hands-on deck, and it's not, you know, it's not really a game. Like, they, they take... Oh, all no, these research there, meetings. There are so yeah. many flavors out there of bitters now. I mean, it's just blown up. Um, well, I to, wanted to address that particularly um, is that you guys were kind of around in the beginning of the bitters explosion. Yeah, um, you know, hopefully you said eight years, right? Yeah, we we you know we would consider ourselves kind of right at the beginning of that. And you know, when we started Bitter Cube and started making bitters. You know, we I was making bitters in Minneapolis at Town Talk Diner before we started Bitter Cube. Okay. My business partner Ira was at the Violet Hour. They're making bitters from scratch. You know, and why were we doing that? It was out of necessity. It was because the only bitters I could get in Minneapolis were uh, Regan's Orange, Angostura, and then Angostura had, Orange had just come out. Right. And so we were making six, seven different flavors uh, at our bar in Minneapolis. Ira was doing the same. And uh, so when we started our company, that was only, you know, really originally one, one of the ideas of what we were going to be working on was the, these bitters, um, the consulting obviously being a big part of it as well. And so, yeah, you know, when you talk about those bartenders that are serious and take everything very seriously, I mean, we are those people as well. You know, we're, we're cut from that cloth. Um, but as we expand our horizons and as the, the cocktail uh, community grows and grows into smaller markets, we always have to look at it through a different lens and, you know, thinking about it not so seriously i think bitters can still play a very important role because i can show a bartender how to make seven drinks i can give them 10 different bitters and they have enough information there to create cocktails for weeks and weeks and weeks without ever making the same one how many different flavors do you currently have in in the the portfolio and is there like a trinity of flavors maybe a couple of flavors that are going to consistently be in every bitter that you have regardless of whatever overall flavor you're making we actually have a bitter called trinity bitters which i think is <laughs> so we started i thought you were leading him straight into <laughs> yeah. that i guess <laughs> no that was just on accident it was awesome yeah. uh we started in 2009 uh, our first launch of the bitters was 2010 and uh we did six flavors then and since then we've launched two more flavors that are available all the time we've also had three limited edition bottles that uh you can get on our website right now for the holidays, but there's not many left. And then uh, uh, we've had a few other flavors that we have coming out. Right now, on the market, on the website, you can get eight different bottles. Got it. And um, as far as, like, primary, like, when you're building one of your bitters, um, like, what, how's that process work? Like, yeah, I'm really curious about that as well. Like, there's always I mean, going to be wormwood in there. There's always going to be... There's no wormwood in any of our bitters, actually. Oh, there so you go. We, we've, we've shied away from... Any uh, botanical that you have to try to prove the parts per million. So if you go to the TTB, there's a thing called the grass list, which is like, here are the things that are safe to use. Here are the things that are not safe to use. Because when you, be, when you become termed non-potable, and they, then we become the FDA's problem. Ah. We're no longer the TTB's problem. Well, the FDA works a lot different than the TTB in the sense that like, the FDA doesn't regulate every single product that's available in the country Right, so you have to follow these guidelines. And the when you talk is, about grass, you're talking about like the generally regarded as safe. Exactly, generally regarded as safe list. And so, things that are not on that list, like licorice, wormwood, uh, tonka beans, uh, you know, there are, there are these different botanicals that, like, you know, if you put licorice in a vermouth or in a bitters, you have to prove how many parts per million of that botanical is found in each ounce or whatever. Oh, so, tonka beans. Yeah. <laughs> Bad raps, man. Wormwood, too. Bad rap. So you guys got started in 09. Um, yeah. And just obviously you've already addressed it, but you, you were working behind a bar. and Still you, do, yeah. And you you still work behind a bar, and you're also a brand ambassador for uh, Bombay still? Yep, yeah. There's seven years of Bombay Sapphire uh, brand ambassador work, which is uh, you know driving, uh, 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 driving force behind... Allowing us to grow this company, you know, has been a very, very important part of it. Uh, you know, so I've been, I've had the privilege of traveling around North America, 
and tasting cocktails from all of these different markets, which it's has been terrible incredible. Job. Yeah. Horrible. I get paid to eat and drink and judge people. I mean, it's my three favorite things. So That's my job. Isn't yeah. Great? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I, need to, I need to get it's your guys' good job. job. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, the, you know, the bitters started in 2010. Uh, we started Bitter Cube at the end of 2009. Our first consulting gig started January of 2010. So uh, they've all been kind of uh, uh, working you know, copacetically together. In addition to that, we do a lot of brand advocacy for, for other small brands as well. You know, lots of small micro distilleries that want cocktail development and want us to, you know, help them uh, figure out how to launch their brands in different markets. So you guys are all over the place. Yeah, very busy. I mean, how, you know, I, there's so many different uh, companies out there now that are producing bitters. You talked about how difficult it was in 2008, 2009 to hunt these down, and I, I remember that. I mean, hell, it was hard enough to get Angostura at, at times. But, yeah. I mean, then all of a sudden, like three years later, hundreds hundreds of companies i mean i felt like every bartender in the country was throwing their hat into the ring and like something they could do at home or at the bar and yeah. there was about a million brands and now a lot of that's shaken out and now there seems to be about five six major players in in that and i mean how did you guys kind of withstand that storm well i think the business model of of not relying on any one department right so bitter cube is kind of four different companies smashed into one. There's consulting, there's the bitters production, there's advocacy, and then we do events. So, you know, we do large spirit events, we do weddings, private parties, cocktail classes. Uh, we do these, you know, all over the country. And so those and the consulting are, you know, opportunities to uh, generate capital for the generate capital for the uh, company uh, that just based on our IP, right? So balancing those with building the bitters brand helped a lot, I think. Um, you know, like I said, we started in uh, making the bitters in a distillery in Madison, Wisconsin, Yahara Bay Distillery. Uh, we made 20-gallon batches when we first started. We had distribution in three states. We're now in 36 states. We have our own apothecary. Oh, wow. That's we're doing, badass. Yeah, that is badass. We're doing, we're doing 4,000. Eight, uh, eight years. That's amazing. We have 4,000 square foot apothecary where we're doing all of the batching. We have 15 employees. Distribution in Canada, Italy. We're about to hit South America. Cool. So I think we were, we were ahead of the curve. And, you know, we really were working with our blinders on. And I think, you know, when you look back at some of, you know, maybe our most successful things as, as adults, and sometimes they were based on those moments where we just didn't look up to see, is anybody else doing this? Or how does anybody else feel about this thing? And, you know, we were already pretty far down the rabbit hole before we were like, what's Bitterman's? <laughs> you know, we we're like, oh, shit. <laughs> and we're just like, fuck it. You know what? I believe in what we're doing. We believe in what we're doing. You know, people ask how we started the company. We're like, sheer desperation. You know, like we, we made some decisions that put us in in Milwaukee, Wisconsin together, uh, and we formed a, an alliance between Ira and I, and now, you know, we've we've affected hundreds of people's lives as bartenders. We've, we've trained over 400 bartenders uh, in the last eight years, and we've got 15 people on payroll, and so, you know, we just kind of just kept head down and just kept moving forward, because I think at, at some point, I think we've all experienced that moment where you can kind of look up and come up for air, and you're like, ah, nah, forget it, I'm not going to do it, you know, yeah. but we had, we had already done it, so... Well, I love the products. I mean, Thank you. Um, you know, I, as regular listeners of the show and Arthur, and I mentioned it every, uh, he's already mentioned it, but I'm a big rum guy. Um, particularly love tiki. And there aren't a lot of like cool, fun tiki. Uh, speaking of Bitterman's, they do the tiki, or I, they got a Hawaiian name on it. I can't remember what they call them, but we just call them the Immokalee bitters. bitters. Thank yes. you. Yeah. Um, I wanted to your name Jamaican our Jamaican bitters yeah. are rocking. I wanted to name so we have a blend of bitters called Mahalo as well, which I got to get you a bottle. So we, we have a couple of like peripheral things that we're working on that aren't for sale. So we have a bitters called Washington Island bitters, which are like Angostura. You know, there's this little tiny bar on Washington Island that is the longest running bar in America because they got to serve Angostura bitters uh, during Prohibition. Uh, they took it to the, 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 the judge in Madison and they poured the judge a shot of Angostura and the judge said nobody would ever drink this. <laughs> and so this whole little island, uh, all the people on the island, you know, got to drink cases and cases. It's more Angostura bitters are sold in this little tiny bar wow. in Washington Island than anywhere else in the, in the world. Speaking of that. people, nobody wants to drink a, a shot of anything. Just throwing this random story out. I... So my friend Jason Alexander from Tacoma Cabana in Tacoma, Washington, had somebody break into his bar last week. And he's got him on video. And 
all of these he's got this amazing rum collection there he does badass tiki drinks there um he's got him on video pouring and he's got audio as well um pouring themselves a glass of benedictine <laughs> and then like chugging it of <laughs> all of the stuff on the back bar shelf right and i was like why would they go to that just, bottle? Uh, just mouthing a bottle of grenadine, just like yeah. Well, I said I commented on his uh, Facebook thread. I was like, well, maybe they saw the dom on the label, and they're like, ah, it's time to find out what all these hip hop guys are talking about. <laughs> <laughs> like, That's awesome. I mean, like he's got some amazing rare rums in that bar, and they just glossed over all that and went straight to the Benedictine. And purportedly had said, I didn't hear the audio, but he said they were like, man, that was like a twenty-five dollar shot. Wow. <laughs> like, wow. Sorry to. D- d- derail that but i was like that's just too good of a story not to share you said oldest bar earlier and that i'm sure that i mean it's i've you, know, you hear people say well we were the first to do this sure, we were yeah. the oldest to do that and there's always you know somebody saying something but the oldest bar i mean it's um I, that's got to be contestable like that's isn't it in, in new orleans uh you got like lafitte's or whatever that's supposed to be like the oldest bar well but technically technically speaking lafitte's wouldn't have had a liquor license during prohibition Ah, he said continuously continuously serving, serving bar. Okay. So I've been to Lafitte's, and and yes, that that bar was open way earlier. What they're saying is like they're one of they should they're technically the only bar that was allowed to serve alcohol during Prohibition. Lafitte, because nobody in their right mind would drink Angostura. Yeah, which exactly. I'm guessing they uh, they didn't recognize everyone's thirst for alcohol at that during that time i'm like i would have been drinking bitters i don't care yeah oh i still have i mean have you ever had a shot of of bitters i mean i've had a shot of angostura yeah yeah Yeah. it's great Mm -hmm. have you guys seen the movie brewster's millions I love Brewster's Millions. Way back in the day, you know, he wins all the money. He's got to spend all the money by a certain time, and he, if he does, then he inherits. Richard Pryor. Oh, he inherits yeah. like ten times more. So he gets, he gets an inheritance for thirty million. He can either take it and leave, or if he spends all of it within like two 30 months, days. 30, thirty days, thirty days, and he got three hundred million. Yeah, then he then he gets three hundred million, but he can't it's tell. It's sad anybody. that I remember actually all of the dollar it's, amounts. It's, it's, it's a great movie, you know, <laughs> but uh, he he can't tell anyone why he's just wasting all his money or spending it all. And, like, the first thing he does is beeline to, like, this restaurant and buys everybody lunch in this high-end, crazy high-end restaurant with Giardine cart service and white gloves. And he asks the maitre d', he's like, what's the most expensive one you got? And the guy's real snooty, and he's like, ah, you know, 1961 Lafitte. And he's like, hey, you guys like Lafitte? <laughs> and for some reason, it's always stuck with me. So. You know, I always, oh, I thought about it during this election cycle. Because he remember he ran for uh, oh yeah mayor of New York uh, and none of the above none of the above vote for none of the above don't vote for me I don't want your vote Mm. (laughs) and then he ended up winning yeah go figure what is happening to this podcast I have no idea yeah (laughs) we're throwing out Richard Pryor but tragically when we derail it's not nearly as bad as a lot of other people's podcasts is that what the podcast is called derail (laughs) I think we're changing it to that next (laughs) we get new ideas from guests every episode there's probably podcasts already called derail although we did forget to bring in our last guest on today he's the one that keeps us focused (laughs) which one is that Josh from, oh, Central, from yeah. Central State, he kept circling us right back around on topic. He was yeah. pretty, yeah. He, he was he was solid. He was, was good. We podcast. need that guy. We need him as like a director, <laughs> like no he's shit. just snapping fingers. Like, excuse me, guys, come on, back back on topic. Mm, goodness, the circle back around Here on we go. topic. Um, I started it. So I just I sat down it. with you for the last hour before we um, before we decided to sit down and record here. And you are kind of in Indianapolis right now, go, meeting with a couple of bartenders, um, and so, including some of mine, yeah. um, doing your tonic lab. Yeah. So, again, another, you know, Bitter Cube, uh, again, you know, many, many-headed monster, we say, right? So, you know, with the relationship that we have with Bombay, over the last three years, we've really developed this really cool program. Uh, what, what I've, the feedback I've gotten is a very engaging, you know, uh, uh, program for a brand. And uh, we're making tonic with people. So... You know, when you look at like the trend of house-made tonics, I'm sure where you both have had them. They are made usually with raw cinchona bark, raw botanicals. They're murky. They're brown. They're intensely bitter. They're overflavored. Uh, you know, they don't resonate with the majority of the consumers as a tonic. Even though, you know, maybe there's a few cocktail bars in in the the, the city that, you know, people just take whatever you give them. They trust you, and they're like, this is a tonic, and by all per intents and purposes it is but what we're doing is we're taking these really high quality non-gmo organic extracts and we're blending them and we're making a tonic syrup uh very quickly uh with a one-to-one simple syrup these extracts and the, the end result is a very light crisp refreshing trans uh transparent tonic 
uh, for people to enjoy. That was and a lot so, of fun. I mean, sitting and watching that process, and uh, we'll we've got photos on our Instagram account if you want to um, dig through um, Shift Drink Podcast on Instagram. We've got photos of Nick actually doing um, his tonic lab with uh, one of our bartenders. I'm allergic to three of the botanicals, and I really? can't figure out which ones they are. But oh, <laughs> that's terrible. Every every day, like I get like. Like like throat itchy and like head coldy and uh, come home with uh, hives, but damn it, yeah. I, must but I love it so much. Yeah, you got them all split off. I mean, yeah, you could just like I just try one, one per day. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But uh, yeah, so I'm here today in Indianapolis. I've got uh, you know five accounts, and then I go to uh, Cincinnati tomorrow, Columbus, and then I'm home for a little bit, which is great. But uh, you know, we do this traveling. Uh, this is our third year, so uh, we've done about 150, 200 bars every third year, year for the tonic. For the tonic, yeah. So. Uh, it's been a really exciting program. Yeah. I We're, mean, uh, I enjoyed it quite a lot just to see how everything was broken down. Um, I mean, you, how many bottles do you carry with you? Um, uh, so there's that? 14 flavors uh, that I carry with me in a suitcase that uh, gets checked by the TSA every time I fly. Which, again, check our Instagram account. I got a photo yeah. of it right before we started. It's, it's a little, yeah, it's, it's a shady-looking case. It is, especially so, on an extra Yeah, machine. it's a really nice case, too. So they're like... You know, I feel a little bit like uh, a bald, uh, morbidly obese James Bond when I uh, <laughs> go through the airport. Uh, you know, so but uh, yeah, the the, the the tonic lab has been really successful because it's very engaging and it's it's really bridging this gap of like, you know, this idea that everything needs to be made in house is definitely changing, right? The trend to, to focus on people that are making good products like Bitter Cube bitters. You know, when we when we started Bitter Cube. We thought our biggest consumer was going to be cocktail bars around the country, high-end cocktail bars. Well, it turns out everybody else was doing the same thing we were doing, which was making our own bitters. Right. And so we were very fortunate that the home consumer became a very important part of our uh, growth. And uh, when you see the growth uh, that we've had, you know, 30 40% growth every year in, in sales, uh, that's the consumer. That's not bartenders. Are you know? sure? Uh, the reason I say that is because, yeah, there was a while, I mean, and ourselves included, it's like, hey, you know, it's 2010. You're like, we need bitters and we can't get anything. There's nothing like Bitter Cube or Bitter Men's or any of that stuff around. But now it's it's just so damn much work for us to do it when you guys are professionals. You do this all day, every day. Well, that's happening. And, yeah. like, there's no reason for us to spend hours and weeks doing all of this when I can buy a product from you, but if you that's th- amazing. If and you see the quality and sure. it, if they can source the quality and it's legit and, sure. you know, the, it's quality of integrity or product of integrity, then, yeah, why not Think buy about it? the amount of cocktail bars or bars in general versus the swath of, of, of American consumers that are – that understand what the word cocktail is and like to use the word mixologist, which we, you know, cringe at when, when it's said, but the truth is, is like there are more and more people that are the home consumer that are going home and building drinks. Like that's a huge population. And, and the fact is, is that they both been happening uh, at the same time. So just as much as we've been uh, having more and more bars, pick up our product and use our product and put our product on menus, the next step is that people are, are buying those bitters in liquor stores. And, you know, we have the one-ounce size and the five-ounce size. So one-ounce size is really great for the home consumer because they can grab a six-pack and, and uh, uh, play around with them at, at home. And like we said, you know, they're going to make drinks. And they might not be the best drink, but they're not going to throw it away by any means. You guys either. actually sell these in a six-pack too, right? You yeah, know, we have a variety pack, yeah. yeah. Variety packs. No, a variety pack's beautiful. Um, from a wholesale standpoint, you can go to a number of liquor stores, wine stores in town, and I mean they have an entire shelving unit devoted to bitters. And that yep, that's sure insane. Sure, so it wasn't the case. No, ten years ago, I was in Benny's in Chicago not even a couple weeks ago, and I was looking for a particular bitter. I can't remember what the hell I was looking for now, but they have a whole aisle. And I walked in and I was oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> like I wasn't expecting to spend forty five minutes in this aisle. Like I just yeah. wanted to kind of grab what I was looking for. Did but they have a bitter sommelier there? I didn't ask. Which is actually funny. What is that? I want that job. Uh, there was um. So or do uh, I have that job? I can't. I, I you, I am I? You have it. I am that thing. Okay. Yeah. So uh, no, Nick was not there. <laughs> the, a long time nickname I've had is Arturo Negro because my name is Arthur Black. And then there was wow, a period. No, nobody could put that together. That's not, not a nickname. That's just saying your right. name in a different language. Right. But, <laughs> my stage name. You know, it's a trade thing. People stage like, name. Arturo Negro. Yeah, nobody um, will ever figure out what your real name is. It's not supposed to be a, a fucking. Secret, you know what I'm saying? I and mean, you can't put that together. I'm not going to assess your, you know, whatever. But there was a while where I was going through a particular cynical phase 
Um, and I took on. Uh, <laughs> yeah, a while. Is, that, is a that not right now? I'm a happy guy right now in comparison. Um, but for a while, there were people that were calling me Negro Amaro or, you know, bitter black, like sweet. Oh, it. yeah. Yeah. Well, you're still a little bitter. I am. I'm totally fucking bitter. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Absolutely. Jaded, cynical, bitter, but blessed all the same. Namaste. <laughs> that's right. He usually starts every part of Namaste, motherfuckers. Or something. Yeah, that's do. Co- totally anathema to your whole. <laughs> um, yeah, I was going to say, you're a juju you guy. He's a big yoga guy. Yeah. Yogurt? <laughs> yeah, I love no, that's me yogurt. yogurt. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, my wife took me to a hot yogurt class once, and <laughs> it was not what I thought. That sounds was, delicious. I was like, yogurt sounds great. And then I tried to break up with her and everybody else in the class. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. So, um, I mean, you said you're in 36 states uh, in the United States right now. Like, do you want me to name all 36? No, I do not. <laughs> Alphabetically. <laughs> but, I mean, are, you said you, you visit a lot during this Tonic Lab. Yeah. Like, are you hitting all the states, or do you have people working for Bittercube that are also in, like, kind of so helping we, you guys out? Yeah, we have 15 employees. Helpers. Yeah, I wish there was more of it. Uh, what's the breakdown of the team, the 15 so, people? Yeah, so there's Ira and I uh, started the company uh, in 2009, and then we have uh, another partner, Marco Zapia, who lives in Minneapolis with me. Uh, and he started working for us when we opened up Eat Street Social in Minneapolis. And within two years, he became you know the most important person uh, in our company. And uh, so now we made him a partner. Uh, from there, I've got four other guys in Minneapolis that are helping with events, uh, the consulting, all the consulting that we're doing up there, and demos, liquor store things. And then we have 10 people in Milwaukee that are anywhere from producing the bitters, bottling the bitters, uh, we've got some office people doing, you know, the PR marketing management. So there's 15, 16 of us now that are running the company. But still, you know, Ira and I and Marco are the face of the business. So you know, we're still, you know, doing most of the traveling. We don't have necessarily like a gotcha. sales force that's kind of going out on their so own. So it is, you guys. You, yeah. You're a, I mean, that's yeah. cool. That goes a, that goes a long way. I mean, you know, when the owner shows up and it's like, hey, try these. And like I said, I mean, the um, it was cool to talk to you a little bit about the Jamaican bitters. Yeah. Um, one or two. Yeah. <laughs> if you guys are considered uh, like a food, uh, if you're in the FDA's world, do you guys have to go through wholesale? Is it? Do you have to like? No, legally, I can sell the bitters to anybody direct. So you don't have to do the three. You don't system. have to, but you know, when you get you know big POs from distributors and they've got you know connections to you know three hundred liquor stores and yeah, no, it only yeah, makes all, sense. Yeah, it still makes curious. sense to do it. So you know, there's still you know there's some states that we don't have uh, distribution in. So we'll still have some wholesale accounts still. And then there are sometimes you'll get someone that says, you know, I don't use that distributor. You know, technically, we can still sh- ship direct to them. And then you can buy the bitters on our website at bittercube.com. And at bittercube.com, we have a, uh, uh, you know, the variety pack and the five-ounce bottles. So you guys could so ship direct to consumers. Ship, uh, that's yeah. fantastic. I mean, well, see, uh, some of our listeners out there that are not from Indiana don't realize some of the problems that we have in Indiana. We can't uh, direct ship alcohol. Um, period, right? right? I mean, you can't... Different but, states but, have different but rules. wines, you have to, like, have the winery... <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, fill out some bullshit paperwork that says they've ID'd you and all kinds of crap. It's it's such a pain in the ass. Uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's a pain in the ass. I don't really think there's a bunch of 16-year-olds getting online to try to get some uh, beautiful Bordeaux and try to get hammered on it. And, like, if you want to get some Mad Dog, it's not that hard to go to Kroger and find some <laughs> dude to, like, buy you some Mad Dog 2020. There are pros and cons to our wine laws here, and in some ways they're kind of ridiculous. The whole Sunday thing, other ways oh, they're Jesus. they're very. Yeah, I have Sunday. I'm in Minnesota. You, you can't you can't buy alcohol. No, in but I have an apothecary Sunday. in my basement. There's literally you know thousands of dollars of booze in the basement at any given time. So I'm good. You may not want to mention that. Um, you know, in a microphone, you do have an insurance agent. I'm presuming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like wait a minute, a whole bunch of flammable alcohol in the basement. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's right next to the fire that we have, yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. Exactly. It's next to my furnace. <laughs> There's an open wood fire pit down there. We boil so, I mean, I mean, you're 14 states away from having the whole country knocked out, but you're already branching out into uh, international markets. Yeah, Canada's really good. You know, uh, uh, Montreal is really good to us, and uh, Toronto's getting better, and uh, Vancouver's great. Uh, Italy, we just got to distribution in Italy. We've, That's awesome. We've, we've had distribution countries. in Australia as well for a while. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, you know, there's still so much work to be done. But we also are expanding our product line as well. We have a few more bitters coming out. We we own a vodka called Modest Vodka. And we have a spiced rum that uh, the formula just got approved uh, called Neverdoc Dry Spiced Rum. So the goal is to, to produce some spirits that are still embedded in the botanical nature of our company. So, like, botanically infused spirits. So... 
looking at things like gin, but doing it with different types of spirits. So, you know, doing like a, a botanical infused brandy. You know, when you think about cognacs, for example, 1800s, they could add raisins and almonds and cinnamon and spices to, to try to change the flavor profile without ever putting anything on the label grant you and so you know we're, we're, we're looking at some of these old historical botanical infusions and then also just kind of coming up with some of our own that's pretty cool uh, that'll be interesting to see because I think it, um, and obviously I don't think you guys would do anything unless it was high quality and, and done well but like you see a lot of like the flavored primary genres of spirits whether it's flavored vodka or whether it's you know flavored rum or um, there are a handful of producers in the brandy world cognac you know muscat cognac or something like that but i don't see them really regarded by the trade as much from a qualitative standpoint when you're talking about flavored vodka and flavored rum yeah but if you get into the rum world there are i mean it's definitely a big transparency issue and not only that i mean you know there's definitely a backlash amongst us rum geeks um against like any sort of flavoring but i mean there's also freaks but there's also like some there's some really pretty expressions out there that like uh to nick's point um Diplomatico, um, they actually have um, raisins in the barrels as they're aging. So, right, Diplomatico. Um, so, yeah, no, it's a beautiful rum. Um, it's, they, they're pretty upfront about the sugar coming out there and as isn't well. Isn't it beautiful that it's these conversations that would stop me and so many other people from making those products? <laughs> so we're just going to keep the blinders on and do it. And I think that, you know, if you look at the spice drum world, you're seeing a big trend in it. Because of all the the huge swath of micro distilleries that are popping up, right? Everybody wants to throw whiskey in barrels, and what are, how are we going to keep the lights on for four years? So you're going to see a big trend in aquavits because it's a different differentiation from gin, and you're going to see a big trend in, in midwestern, especially yeah. rums and spiced rums, and they're made with all natural botanicals and things like that. And so, you know, we're hoping that that our pedigree of what we've done with the bitters allows us to have a a rum that comes out that that resonates with number one our consumers already, but also like a sign of quality, not like oh well why would I buy that if I can buy Captain Morgan? And it's like well, Captain Morgan is liquid flavoring added to it, right? Quote unquote rum. We're, it's vodka. Yeah, actually we're, we're taking organic rum uh, made in Milwaukee rum. and uh, macerating botanicals in it. So right, yeah, we're really excited about it. I'll so, get I mean, you a bottle. So I mean, you mentioned it earlier, um, and going back to that same point that you were just talking about. Um, you guys aren't using like artificial flavorants and all this. I mean, you are really doing everything the difficult way within Bitter Cube. Yeah, it's uh, it's so that not what does that do to the uh, your uh, <laughs> pricing structure for like a, a well, that's a it, you home know, bartender. as a small business, you know, the the irony is is that as your business grows, things cost less. <laughs> right. You know, it's like it's like entering a market is always difficult because like. To buy, you know, have you ever seen, like, how much it costs to buy, like, one vanilla bean at Whole Foods? It's, like, $10, (laughs) right? So, like, when you get to a place where your needs become exaggerated, now we have buying power, and now we can negotiate prices. And now we're, you know, we're buying 10 pounds of something rather than, you know, half a pound. And so our price structure lowers. While our price structure lowers, some of the other costs have, have increased. And so those have kind of matched each other. So we haven't really had to change price too much as we've grown in eight years. It's probably We're probably due for one, you know, because of inflation and everything like that. But for the most part, we've, we've just created more and more ways for people to use the product and in different sizes to buy it. And so, you know, we have that 32-ounce bottle for the uh, on-premise, which is great. So smart. Yeah. And we're the only ones doing it, which is really cool. So. Yeah, I haven't seen that anywhere else. And then... I mean, we just uh, last week, and we were talking about that. Like, so um, uh, we we had just gotten an order in our uh, Saint Elizabeth Allspice Dram, and and it comes in seven fifties, you know, for yeah. us. But I mean, I don't think most people are using enough of no. Allspice Dram or Creme de Violette. You know, one bottle is right. gonna, should last you a really long time, well, unless you drink a lot of aviations. <laughs> but which, our, you know, <laughs> our aviation recipe is uh, you know, dropper of Violette on the top. Uh, that's the way to go, right? All right all yeah, right. especially as someone who doesn't like lavender. Yeah, I know. Oh, you, you caught want, that. Yeah, you might want to try this this way out. Put put the violette in a dropper because what's cool about it too is when you put the, the drink in a coupe, and if you have the violette in a dropper and you just kind of lace the glass after the drink is already in there, it kind of has this like beading effect and it looks like a purple cloud, just kind of silking down the glass. If 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 I'm you're into shot, if you're yeah. into mixology, yeah. Well, you know you. Arthur mentioned music. Like, we all hate the term, but you know, I think it is very super. It's super relevant for the home bartender because I feel like they really are like just 
they're not bartenders. To me, a bartender is um, definitely it's driven around hospitality and knowing how to make your drinks at home. I mean, hospitality, who gives a shit? You're making a drink for your wife, yourself and your wife or significant other or maybe a couple of friends. There's, you know, the hospitality part of it kind of no longer applies. It's you're not a parallel really a being a, you know, you like to cook at home, you're a home chef, you know. Right, yeah. Same but thing, like but chef, you know, like a chef French word a, means you're the chief of the kitchen. Right. I guess if you're the only person in the kitchen, you're the chief. But, yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, I want to get back to something before, just before it gets away from me. Um, when someone buys one of your, your, your bitters, do they have to worry about perishability? I mean, no, I mean, you know, we're using, um, you know, it's like the Jamaican bitters, for example. So you have the Jamaican number one and the Jamaican number two. Those are made with rum, overproof rum. So we're taking a 170 proof rum and then we're blending in a few other uh, single island rums that we're doing an infusion with. And you so mind if I ask which rums are you allowed to discuss? I think we discuss? have a, a Barbados and a Jamaica right now that we've been playing with. So Do you know what distilleries you're working with? I can't say that. That's the part I figured uh, you wouldn't. Uh, There's only six in Jamaica, so I can figure When you come it out. to Milwaukee and you take a tour of the apothecary... There might be some totes of rum there that gotcha. might have some information on them. That would make sense. I can't stop your eyes from seeing things. Yeah. <laughs> but you know the Jamaican bitters have the same formula, like or the same ingredient list. The formulas are just drastically augmented. So one is showcasing the citrus and island uh, tropical nature, and the other one's all the spices, right? Mm-hmm. The Jamaican number one's all the spices. I love but the they're spice. all overproof. So they're all forty percent, you know, around there. So they are non uh, non perishable. Uh, will they change in the bottle? Absolutely. I mean, you're looking at, uh, you know, micro powders. Uh, you know, you're looking at, you know, bitters are a suspension. So we have a suspension of, of flavor molecules in a liquid, in an alcohol. And so that suspension can settle and you can find sediment on the bottom of a, a bottle, but you just shake it to bring all that back together. So will bitters change? Absolutely. Uh, do the bitters change between batches? I mean, think about, you know, some of our bitters have 40 botanicals in them. Even just like the citrus, like the citrus I use in a batch of orange bitters today versus in July is going to be completely different. Sure, so yeah, you know, we have a totally huge different. consistency. Like consistency is a crazy part of our business, especially through the growth. Like think about making a 250-gallon batch of bitters. I mean, it's, it's thousands and thousands of dollars that like, you know, it – at the end result has to be we have something that we can sell. <laughs> like there is no there's no possibility otherwise, right? So, you know, when we're making these batches and these formulas, and then you think about like pressure, temperature, elevation, where the botanicals came from, there's all of these different variations that can go into the consistency issues. But So while you're making your bitters, I mean, does that affect I mean, so you can't really you can loosely have a recipe. But if you want consistency across the board, I mean, you're you're tasting through the process to make yeah. sure that it tastes like what it, yeah. you most recently released well, because your oranges may have less oils, more oils. Yeah, you know, they, I mean, with, just with different seasons. Well, with with the way that like the, the you know with the TTB formulation, you know, like we're the, the bitters are formulated the same way every time. We're taking the same list gotcha. of ingredients the same way. At the end of the day, what are we talking about? We're talking about uh, a variation of water and sugar in some capacity. But for the most part, like that, that process is, is from start to finish the same way. Pretty locked in. Yeah, pretty locked in. But you just, you, you're dealing with all of these differentiations. Like if you're using 25 pounds of coriander in every batch of bitters, that 25 pounds of coriander could be very different every couple months. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, sure. What are some of your more expensive ingredients? I'm sure you guys aren't making like saffron bitters. <laughs> well, we are. We have, our newest bitters coming out is called Marvel Bitters, and it's a collaboration with the Marvel Bar in Minneapolis. It's a pretty well-known cocktail bar uh, in Minneapolis and also some national uh, uh, press on them. And so we've been working on a bitters with them for 18 months now, and their their main flavor in, uh, profile is saffron, honey. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, we have some turmeric in there to cut some of the saffron cost. Um, but uh, yeah, so saffron's a big one. Vanilla's a huge one. Like getting getting past two or three middlemen in vanilla was a big step for us because there's just it's you know to get to that that one vial that ten dollar vanilla that you get at Whole Foods there's you know four or five companies that are kind of in the middle there so we have a really great uh, uh, vanilla wholesaler out of Detroit actually or out of out of somewhere in Michigan uh, that uh, we're getting you know pounds and pounds of really really high quality vanilla. So amongst your line, 
you've got, I mean, we, we do have a kind of about a 50-50 split in our listeners here between like industry, you know, restaurant bartenders, et cetera, and home bartenders. But I mean, if, if I'm a home bartender and I maybe I've got some Angostura and I've got some Regan's Orange bitters sitting around, but I want to expand, you know, kind of my, uh, my library of what I've got to play with. I mean, what would be the go-tos that you would recommend from Bitterman's that like to kind of check out and like really? Did you just say from Bitterman's? I, I said from Bitterman's. Jesus Christ! <laughs> nice. This is what happens when I have too many cocktails. Nice. <laughs> nobody, nobody, this is nobody, it. nobody. Do you want to get a photo of me breaking <laughs> all this stuff? <laughs> oh no! This it, is ridiculous. Not even kidding. Three yeah. weeks, three weeks ago, I believe it was that I introduced our podcast incorrectly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which, which one did you say? I, so uh, I listen. I was listening to the Speakeasy by Damon Bolte. Yeah, yeah. Uh, on the way in, right? <laughs> and so like we had a few cocktails before we sat down. We sat down uh, with our producer actually, and he's like, "Oh yeah, I noticed." But um, I introduced the podcast as the Speakeasy, <laughs> and uh, I when I kind of listened to the rough edit the next day, I texted him. I was like, "Oh shit, man." I totally introduced our podcast as somebody else's podcast. Nice. He's like, oh, yeah, I noticed when you were doing it, but I, uh, I forgot to say something. It's like, well, it's a good thing I caught it then. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I did say Bitterman, so I'm sorry. Uh, uh, there we are. So Bittercube, uh, you know, when, when it's uh, like the first introduction to this type of bitter, especially, I think gravitating towards things like orange is a really good idea because if you're looking at classic cocktails – then our orange bitters are going to be used, utilized first. Uh, and I, I think our orange bitters are phenomenal. I mean, the oranges are peeled by hand. You know, we're talking about pallets of oranges peeled by hand. All of the botanicals, the caraway, the coriander, the, the cardamom are bloomed as well by hand. Uh, the sugar is burnt by hand. And, you know, we're talking about 200-gallon batches now. So uh, that's a lot of work. It's, it's a big process. And we've cut zero corners as we've grown the company, which is really exciting. So I think if you blind taste our orange bitters against any other orange bitters, you're going to find this really intense depth of flavor, a really nice bitter backbone, and they're not going to be too much of another botanical. We're like, you know, Regan's can sometimes, in my opinion, seem very cardamom heavy, uh, which can be polarizing. And so we wanted to, we focused a little more on caraway and the coriander than, instead of the cardamom. Gotcha. The Trinity bitters as well are kind of like our AP bitters, all purpose, use them in anything. It's a blend of cherry bark, bolivar, and orange bitters rested together for 45 days. So we're getting this, the top notes from the orange, the creaminess from the cherry bark vanilla, and that nice bitter backbone from the bolivar bitters. So you're getting three flavors kind of blended together. How that all happened was, you know, we, we have an old-fashioned at Eat Street Social. When we opened, it was called, it's called Love the Older Fashion. It's kind of a bitter cube signature. It's weird to say, like, our signature drink is an old-fashioned, but fuck, yeah. I mean, why not? Yeah, yeah. It's, why not? It's, it's, uh, we, use, uh, we take a, a proprietary blend of, of different bourbons and, and, and ryes, whatever we can get our hands on that we really, really are into. So it's usually anywhere from four to seven different whiskeys that we're blending. And then we're taking Muscovado sugar. Uh, making that into a syrup and using that as our as, as our syrup, and then it's the Trinity bitters. Well, originally in, in 2012 when we opened up Beat Street, it was you know a dropper, two droppers of cherry bark vanilla, a dropper of orange, a dropper of Bolivar, and then but you can't write all that on a menu. So we're like, <laughs> right. well, what is that? We're like, well, it's kind of our Trinity of old fashioned bitters. So we started writing Bitter Cube Trinity bitters. Well, we sold like 24,000 old fashions in the first year. You know, it's a quarter million dollars of old fashions. It's wonderful. Uh, so we uh, have this Trinity Bitters on the menu, and guests kept saying, where can I buy Trinity Bitters? And we're like, no, you just you buy these three and then blend them, and people are just like, I'm never going to do that. I'm never going to do that. Make this product. So we ended up making it, and the end result was more wonderful than we ever could have expected. It was, you know, you're looking at these three very complicated suspensions, combining them, and then letting them rest for 45 days. The end result is is crazy. I mean, it's like these three things that we've been working on for years and years and years and years, perfecting them. And then you just kind of like throw them together and see what happens. And it was, it was beautiful. And so we have a few more of those. Like we have a Mahalo bitters, which is Jamaican number two and number one in Blackstrap. Great tiki bitters. Uh, I wanted to call it Humu Humu Nuku Nuku Wapua, but I was vetoed. Was <laughs> the state fish of Hawaii. No, yeah. don't say it again. Humu Humu Nuku Nuku Wapua. He's 100% correct, and I've yeah. never been able to pronounce it correctly. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. I've, I've been waiting 30 minutes on this podcast to say that word to you, actually. <laughs> might be a desperate it, marketing perspective. It might yeah. be, uh, we should note here that he's not got that written down. 
No. That is, uh, he's, no. Wor- he's working notless here. Somebody's practiced the pronunciation of that. Yes, yeah. for years. Uh, so, so well, we have I mean, those. if you go into like a uh, homo, there's, there, there's, that's definitely seen that in the uh, tiki world. And there's, uh, yeah, yeah. We, we, so, you know, we were talking very briefly earlier about, you know, this idea of like Nordic tiki, which is a yes. thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm fascinated by this concept. So, like, is there like a mead kind of? I, we never got into it. Right. I, so, we started this bar, this tiki bar. I think we opened up the, the torpedo room for the first time in 2013. And it was. And torpedo room's in Minneapolis? Torpedo room was, it was in Minneapolis. I mean, it's still there. It's, so, it's, it's like the second room of the Eat Street Social. Uh, that we did the consulting on. So we opened up the Eat Street Social, and a year later, in the winter, we had this back bar that was used for, like, events, and we decided to open up a tiki bar back there. But we wanted to do something very unique, and so we were like, well, what if we incorporate, like, the flavors of the, you know, Scandinavian influence of Minnesota, uh, the northern influence of Minnesota, and incorporate that into tiki? So, like, a couple, like, of the signature thoughts of this are, like, we have a drink called the corn tiki, which is, like, a painkiller. So we use uh, plantation five-year. Okay. We use, instead of uh, coconut cream, we make sweet corn cream. Ooh. So, you know, it's beautiful. Uh, we, we've done, we always did it the hard way, which is, <coughs> excuse me. We always did it the hard way. You're going to edit that? You can do some, no, we're never going to edit anything. It's just straight up and down. All right. So I should <laughs> stop talking about it. Uh, we would do it the hard way where we would take corn, blanch it, cut it off the cob, and then we would uh, 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 put the cobs back in the water, and then you milk the cobs. I don't know if you've ever milked cobs before. No, totally. We, yes, we have. Um, doing like ice cream and, and yeah, I love cob milking. And uh, you know, you it's can, just similar to the uh, the mare milking we were talking about with Kumil, one of the earlier alcoholic uh, beverages in the world. Uh, you were the only one that knew about that, so I think. Okay, never mind. <laughs> so uh, you add a little bit of xanthan gum to the syrup, so it thickens a little mm-hmm. bit. And now we've been, we turned this out that, uh, you know, like a cream corn, can of cream corn has modified cornstarch in it. Right. Or xanthan gum for that creamy texture. So you can also make like sweet corn cream by taking, you know, cream corn and adding sugar, which is pretty wonderful. So then instead of uh, uh, pineapple juice, we use spiced apple cider. So you have corn cream, apple cider, and rum shaken in a glass. I can't wait for you to try this someday. It's amazing. Yeah, I'm kind of one one right now. Yeah. And then we do like a Royal Hawaiian. But, uh, you know, if you do a Royal Hawaiian with uh, Aquavit and a little bit of like Zerben's pine liqueur. Oh, yeah. Then you've got this very tropical drink. I feel like that's just about as Nordic as you can get. It's as Nordic as you can get. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So stuff like that. And we, we did a whole menu that way. And, and we you know whenever we're incorporating tiki into a menu, we're always trying to kind of have a nod to this idea of Nordic tiki, which is you know, just very basically taking these influences and these flavors of the north. And, uh, you know, we tried to describe the tiki bar in Minnesota as like, imagine being in an ice house on a lake. Do you guys do that here? No. Ice we fish? don't get cold enough. Okay. Um, Lakes I, are dangerous. Yeah, I was going to say they, they they occasionally can, but I don't know if I'd want to set up a okay. shop on one well, of them. like two feet of ice on right, the lake. Yeah, right? we don't get two feet. So imagine going to an ice house, and when you open up the door of the ice house, inside of the ice house is a tiki bar. That's what Nordic tiki is all about. That might be the only way you'd get me to go ice fishing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. If there's rum out there, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, I, I would. I'm totally down right now. Like, yeah, I'm wishing we were recording this on location. Yeah, well, you know what's cool about a nice house that's a tiki bar is uh, the refrigeration, <laughs> right? Yeah, right below you. Yeah, you, you don't s- have to worry about anything. You said like, you know what's cool. Yeah, you don't, uh, yeah, and you just dig yourself a little pit, and like, that, that's your cooler. Well, yep. You can have fires on the ice too, which is really weird for people. I've not seen from Minnesota. that. Yeah. yeah, so no, I've never done it. Um, but I've seen, yeah, you like fires on the ice because you got two feet. You're, not, you're not gonna yeah. melt two feet of yeah. ice. You guys could have Burning Man in Minnesota. <laughs> <laughs> Smoldering Man. That would be <laughs> yes. I'm down with that. Let's 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 do that. Just wet firewood. Just the, the instead of going out thing. to the La Playa, you go out to the Gelo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, as we um, kind of wrap up, I mean. Uh, you, you already kind of addressed some of the must-haves. Like, you know, home bartenders now out there. You should taste that. Check out your, uh, your, your Trinity bitters. And, and I, I would highly recommend checking out some of the uh, Jamaican as well if you're into doing tiki drinks. And I find a lot of, of home bartenders, or I'm sorry, 
people that are really into tiki definitely are big into their home bars. Yeah, and the tiki bitters are you know the Jamaican number two, the Jamaican number one, the black strap as well. I think plays an important part in tiki. You've got those three mm. types of cinnamon: cassia, Ceylon, and Saigon molasses. So that one makes a lot of sense as well. And then the Corazon as well is what you just tasted there. That's Corazon bitters. It's uh, chocolate, coffee, five different types of dried peppers. That's brand new. Uh, we're hoping to have root beer out sometime in 2017, which is great because, again, uh, sassafras is not on the grass list. So uh, how do you make something taste like root beer if you can't use sassafras? And, you know, the thing about the, the oversaturation of all of these crazy bitters is that it's not the most regulated uh, department of uh, the TTB. And sure. so, you know, for companies like ours that are working super hard to, to make sure that everything is super legitimized and uh, approved, there are just as many people that are, you know, putting things in bottles and saying, uh, putting things in bottles and saying they're legit and just selling them. And uh, that can be really dangerous as well. So, you know, there are things that, that aren't safe. And if you're not keeping, uh, keeping track of those things, uh, you know, so far, we haven't we haven't heard about any of that stuff. But uh, you know, when you do look at at the the oversaturation of of this market, um, there is uh, we are inundated with bitters that are really weird in flavor profile. That might be using things that aren't necessarily safe. But but also on top of that, just you know, a lot of the bitters that I you know we get sent bitters. We get people that ask us about you know you know once a month we get an email that's like, tell me how you did what you did. I want to <laughs> do what you do. And you're yeah. like. Uh, that's not no, that's a you terrible don't. idea. Right. Well, number one is a terrible idea to sell anything by the drop. So <laughs> right. let's talk about that first. <laughs> Second, you know, yeah, don't get in, don't get involved, you know. But but uh, it's it's an interesting uh, business to be in, and we are very you know fortunate that we were we were here way before it got to that place. You know, no, we started totally. so much earlier. So yeah. I think that definitely attests to your longevity. And kind of as we wrap up here today. Um, I wanted to do a weird little circle here because, you know, I've been in this business since I was pretty much 16. And in my early 20s, I managed um, a Buffalo Wild Wings. And while I was doing that, we had that bottle of Angostura bitters. I mean, back in the day, a bottle of Angostura bitters at a, at a sports bar could last you like 17 years, probably. Uh, you know, I mean, yeah, the only time right. that we ever touched on those bitters was when somebody had a hangover. And they came in, and the bartender would be like, "Hey, let me get you some like Angostura and soda and whatever." And they would that would be the hangover cure. So uh, we always wrap up each episode with um, with your favorite hangover cure. Oh man, I have <laughs> so many good ones. Oh really? Uh, yeah. Let's hear them all. All right. So I mean, being here at the Rook as well. I mean, ramen. I've actually been one of oh, my most amen worst. To that, one man. of my worst hangovers was actually at this restaurant. <laughs> Really? Yeah, when I met Eli a year ago for the USBG thing, yeah. yeah. Eli we, can definitely give you a hangover. We, well, no, we had guest bartended at another bar, and we were out late and up late and came came here, and we had the, the we had soup, we had the pork, we had everything. It was great. Um, but for me, like a pho or a ramen, I think is a really important part of a hangover cure. And it's also... It's an important part. Important it's part. It's entirety. It's a part of the it. The biggest thing you have to tell people when they're hungover is... I know it feels like the right thing to do to not give your body any alcohol right now because you made such terrible decisions last night, but you have to get up, have a little bit of wine or a little bit of whiskey or Sake. whatever you can. Yeah. Uh, the hair of the dog is a real thing. Your body digests alcohol and turns it into formaldehyde basically. And so when your ethyl alcohol becomes, when it starts to process those other alcohols, uh, like methyl alcohol, that's when your body feels the worst. And so as soon as you consume more ethyl alcohol, your body puts that other processing on hold. So it's kind of like delaying your hangover. So maybe it's not like getting rid of it, but like, hey, if you can put it on hold for a little bit. Yeah. And the other one that I can't, I can't, you know, it's not legal in all 50 states, so I can't really tell you about, you know, what I think the oh, best thing. Oh, no, go ahead, thing. because it's already been mentioned. You just numerous. get higher than a giraffe's ass, and <laughs> yeah. you're going to be fine. Higher than a giraffe's you know? ass. I've no, never done it, but I just heard that people yeah. do that. So. I'm, um, when I'm in a state that where it's legal, I'm a big advocate of the edibles before bed. Um, it gives you more restful sleep, because as you get older, as you probably understand, like, like hangovers or like, I'm sorry, a night of drinking when you're young is great because you're hammered and you're like, I'm going to sleep awesome tonight because I'm hammered and I'm just tired and I'm going to knock myself out. But yeah. now 
it does the opposite. And so warning to you of all of you listeners in your 20s, it gets worse. Yeah. Uh, it all so gets it, worse. It, it'll do the opposite as you approach 40. Well, it just takes like two days or three days to yeah, get over it. It'll start yeah. keeping you awake. So like now when I get really drunk, I'm like, I sleep for 45 minutes, mm-hmm. I wake up. I sleep for 45 minutes, I wake up. But if I eat a couple edibles yeah. when I'm in a legal state yeah. before bed, <laughs> um, I mean, it'll knock me out and I'll get very restful I, sleep yeah. through the night. I'm 35. I have the body of a 57-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> I have the, the spirit of a 15 year old and it's just, it's been a terrible run. But, uh, the other one is, uh, uh, avocado and orange juice. So if you blend avocado and orange juice together, uh, it can be a really great, uh, a curative as well. Maybe some bitters in there. The fat content uh, is really good. The vitamin C is really good for you. What's the texture of that? Like it's delicious. Is it creamy because of the avocado? Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. one avocado, like, like, just like a like like I mean, do it to consistency, but like drink it like a smoothie is great. All right, uh, yeah, you yeah, should try yeah. it sometime. Bernie, well, yeah, I was gonna say let's take Bernie's uh, tomato, tomato and beer, or tomato, tomato and orange tomato juice. juice. I thought it was no, no, no. It was it was it tomato was, and beer. Tomato juice and beer, and then there, and was, there was orange some, juice. Something with orange juice. Yeah, I don't know I don't if he remember. said orange juice. And I think tomato we ought to just like mix all of this yeah. together, <laughs> and like I'm gonna just go straight. Yeah. So I need some like. A joint and some like, <laughs> yeah. orange juice. Yeah, and an avocado. And, and an avocado. And someday you'll be able to get all of that at the some same bitters. store. Yeah. Uh, but day. the other one, too, is uh, we do this we're thing We're giving away our trade secrets here. This is the uh, the next Bitter Cube hangover cure that's going to be on the shelves of your local gas station. This is, uh, have you, it's called Funette. This is what we do. Oh, so no. if you just have like a cup of pho broth and a little bit of Fernet, you don't Christ. mix them. But you'd sip the pho, and then you sip the fernet. Now, that would work, though, because there's the a lot pho. of those same notes in pho broth that there you, is in fernet. I'm telling you, it's the best thing you've ever tasted. But that that requires a little bit more work. That requires, like, going and finding a Vietnamese restaurant. Well, because remember, I, the fernet. first thing I said was go to pho, bring the fernet with uh, you. Oh, bring the fernet. Bring they the fernet. don't care at the pho house. <laughs> you can bring the fernet. Fernet. Awesome. Well, before we leave here, uh, you want to give any social media shout-outs? Yeah, to, your, your website again? Uh, bittercube.com. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Bittercube. And uh, I'm at Nick Kosovich, K-O-S-E-V-I-C-H. And uh, thanks for your time today, guys. This is oh, a lot of fun. Thanks for coming, yeah, man. So this is awesome. Yeah. Very if insightful. If you guys want to find us out there, we're at Shift Drink Podcast on Instagram and Facebook, and we're Shift underscore Drink uh, on Twitter. And uh, before we wrap up today, guys, I want to uh, dedicate this show to a friend of mine, Drew Perry, who passed away a couple weeks ago. Um, this was one of his favorite restaurants. We saw him three, four days a week. Uh, it was tragic, but uh, I think that he would totally love uh, having one of these episodes dedicated to him. So here's to you, Drew. Thank you very much. And uh, gentlemen, thank you for uh, sitting down with us today. Cheers. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Cheers. Jake.